Well, hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you today on this Thursday, June 18 of 2020. Uh, we are so delighted that you could join us today, wherever you're at. It's always a pleasure. If you are familiar with these podcasts, you know what we're all about. We're about uh, um, speaking, uh, studying the Word of God, and, and really about the relevant things that are taking place in this hour with a prophetic lens. So that's what we're about, just studying the Word of God together, praying that you are being blessed in this hour. As we go forward, uh, yesterday uh, we began uh, a new series on on the Ten Virgins. Uh, powerful, uh, we as uh, the the groundwork was laid yesterday, and, and so many things that we're going to be able to glean, I believe, from it. And so I'm excited about today's Bible study, and I know that God will speak to us. It's always a pleasure to be with the panel, uh, Brother Marty, uh, Brother Fernando, to come together as we always do, to study the Word of God. There's nothing better in this hour. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more crucial than to be in the Word of God. This is the number one news that you got to get it from. It's right here from the Word. Amen? Because it tells us what is taking place and what is happening. And so without further ado, I'll leave it with Brother Marty to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Praise the Lord. We're continuing our study today on the on the parable that the Lord gave of the uh, the ten virgins who go forth to meet the bridegroom. And so we're going to continue it in part two today. And, and we pray if you're just joining us, I encourage you to go back and listen to part one. We laid a lot of groundwork there and which will fill in some of the blanks if uh, if you're just coming in today and just hearing this program. But we're going to begin again, and we're going to read from verse 1 through verse 6. And I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy to read that uh, as we uh, as we begin our study today in Jesus' name. Yes. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Praise God. So we're going to begin today uh, discussing where we left off yesterday, and we're going to get right into the story. And so what we want to look at here and what we want to remember is Matthew chapter 25, the scriptures that Brother Jeremy just read, they are as the result of Jesus answering three specific questions that were given to him by his disciples from the Mount of Olives. Uh, and they asked him the question, when the end of the world would be. That was the third question they asked. They asked three questions. One would be, when shall these things be? Because Jesus had just finished telling them that every stone of the temple was going to be torn down. And uh, and and that, in fact, happened in A.D. 70 when the Roman army came and, and burned Jerusalem to the ground and destroyed the temple. And the people of God were scattered to the four corners of the world, A.D. 70. <clears throat> but before that happened, the disciples were alarmed. And they asked him, when is this going to happen? 
and and so he answers that question and and the second thing he said and and what will be the signs of your coming and he answers that as well in verse 24 and so when we get to chapter 25 he's in the middle of answering all three questions and and we come to the end and the third question that they asked was what shall be uh you know the sign of your coming and the end of the world and that's important for us to understand that as we begin looking again at at uh, chapter 25 in the parable of the 10 virgins because that's what he begins to do he begins to tell a story about 10 virgins and we'll get into that in a second but we want to emphasize that it is now his his beginning of answering the third question but he enlarges it with now beginning to present a story and so that we can understand some things and we need to also look at it from the perspective of the fact that the Lord is hiding and concealing some very very incredible information here that really couldn't have even been understood by his apostles when he gave it to them because much was yet to be unfolded right so he 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 begins first of all and again I keep reemphasizing this is this is the answer to the third question, which deals with the end of the world. And you can find those three questions in Matthew 24, verse 3. So he begins verse 25, like Brother Jeremy just just uh, mentioned, or, or read, excuse me, verse 1, where it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. So he points them into the far-flung future. And and what we've been laying forth is, if we take the scripture in context and we begin to apply uh, that uh, correct um, con- contextual reference, in other words, taking it as it flows and as Jesus is delivering it, then we understand it a lot better because he points them into the far-flung future at the end of the world. This is the subject. This is what he's talking about. And he says, at the end of the world, or then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto this. In other words, he says, in that time, as the end of the world is nearing, he says, it's going to be like this. And so he says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. So the first thing that he mentions is is ten virgins. And again, go back to part one, those of you who are interested, and we discussed uh, why he uses the phrase virgins. And basically, he's referencing uh, those that are engaged to be married. Because remember, they're going out to meet the bridegroom. They're not married yet, but they've been engaged to be married. But he uses the specific number 10. And, right. you know, 10 is, an, right? 10 is an interesting number, and it, and it can mean a lot of different things. But in the scripture, 10 uh, also uh, usually means a completed cycle that results in something. You know, we we count from zero to ten, right? And then we re we re uh, visit the the sequence, but it's always in multiples of ten, and it represents a completed cycle. Or in this case, because he's referring to the future, he's representing a church that has reached its completed cycle. It's grown. It's a fullness of a church, and 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 he says, remember, uh, also uh, one of the things that we need to look for, therefore, is that is that I find it interesting because we've been talking about the days of Noah in the previous podcast that that there were 10 generations from Adam to Noah, right? From the Adam to the judgment was 10 generations. 
So it's kind of interesting that there's 10 virgins. It's almost like 10 sequences, 10 ages, or is he saying the church at the end that reaches a completed cycle, just like the 10 generations in the days of Noah reached a completed cycle and judgment was eminent? Because remember, as this story goes on, that's exactly what he's talking about. He ends up talking and revealing to us about his second coming, the catching away of his of, of his bride, and and the ultimate uh, darkness that that ensues as the wrath of God is about to be poured out upon the world. So the ten virgins represent a completed church at the end of time. In other words, the fullness of it. And like Brother Fernando was pointing out yesterday. And as we were discussing as well yesterday, we need to understand this. And, and, and those of you who aren't familiar with, 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 with studying these prophetic subjects, the Bible is emphatic in teaching us that there is a distinct difference between the church, which is made up of all the nations of the world, the true church uh, of the Gentile nations, and, and then the true church that is yet to be born out of the nation of Israel. And when this story uh, gets to its point of conclusion, which we'll finally get at tomorrow, there is that <clears throat> that uh, verse in chapter 10, verse, I mean, 25, verse 10. Can you read verse 10, Brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, <clears throat> and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. So this is where the story is headed because he's talking about the end of the world. And there appears to be interjected in there in verse 10 that when he comes, he is going to take his his church with him and shut the door. And there will be, uh, at that time, uh, uh, what we're told in Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture like we did yesterday, that God's attention will then be turned to the nation of Israel. She will be left alone in the final months of human history as the wrath of God is being poured out upon the earth, which is a whole big subject, which we, we will touch on tomorrow a little bit. But but my point for reading verse 10 is, is to, to, to show that this story is revealing that he is going to come, he's going to take his bride, but it's going to be those that are ready. And, there, and, and as we get into the story, what we continue to see is, is a separation is going to take place. A division will take place between those that are ready and those that don't. And comparing scripture with scripture again, this is not in any way doing violence to what has already been revealed. And that is, is that we are told in the scriptures that in the last days, just prior to the coming of the Lord, that there will be a segment of the church that falls away from the Lord, that is separated from the true. We see that in the book of Revelation when it comes to the book of <clears throat> of Revelation speaking on the seven churches. The last church that we see revealed there is the church of Laodicea, a church that is completely given to, to materialism and, you know, they're rich and increased with goods. They have need of nothing. And the door uh, is shut uh, and the Lord is seen standing on the outside of the door knocking, trying to get into this group. And so we see that as we dig into the scriptures, that two churches emerged just prior to the coming of the Lord. And it's this separation that takes place that, that defines the real from the true. The false church will fall away. The true church will be rescued before the wrath of God is poured out. And then God's attention will be turned to Israel as he brings his nation back to himself so that both Jew and Gentile will be joined 
ultimately at the second coming of the Lord when, when he comes to implement his rule for a thousand years on the earth. So <laughs> verse 1 is dealing with that far-flung future generation. Now look, verse 1 again, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. We're talking about the ten virgins represented a completed and full church. It's reached its apex. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Brother Fernando, you were elaborating on uh, on the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled, right? You were talking about them yes. reaching that culmination. And you pointed out something really interesting about how the focus has turned to our nation, and, and, and we talked about it in that respect. Can you just review that a little bit, what you were saying yesterday, if you don't mind? <clears throat> yeah, well, when one of the big prophetic signs to, to our time was uh, – in 2018, you brought it up yesterday, where uh, Jerusalem became the capital of Israel after some 2,000 years, and, and our president said that it will be the eternal capital of Israel. And and since then, uh, something has happened. The focus has of the world has been on America, and, and I uh, I found that quite fascinating. Uh, it, it was the moving of Jerusalem or, or uh, of the capital to Jerusalem a sign of this prophecy, right? That Jerusalem shall mm-hmm. be trodden under, uh, under Gentiles until what uh, uh, time is fulfilled, but, the time of the Gentiles yes. is fulfilled, right? So did we see that in 2018? And are we seeing the demise of this nation, which represents I think uh, more than any other nation, that Gentile church, because we have people of every creed, language, nation represented here um, in, in in this nation, and, and the the, the mm-hmm. nation's history is is a, a Christian uh, history. So yeah. I, I believe I believe that we we could be seeing that. I won't say that we are, but it's very interesting that the focus is now on America. Um, are we seeing the the end or the culmination? Because that's what that number ten means—the culmination of the church, uh, composed of both Jew and Gentile, uh, mm-hmm. but in particular focusing on the Gentile side of, of of the church. Are we seeing the culmination of this, where God will uh, begin to deal with His people, Israel specifically? Are we seeing that's the culmination really- of this time? That's really interesting, you know, because you, when you think about what, what you were pointing out right there and yesterday, um, that that is very interesting because <clears throat> if we're seeing, if, 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 we're, if we're looking at things allegorically or metaphorically or whatever, you know, fancy word we want to use symbolically, you know, the ten virgins representing the culmination of, of the Gentile bride, uh, a full and complete uh, manifestation of it. Uh, in the end times, because that's what we're dealing with here. He's answering the third question, what shall be the end of the world or the sign of the end of the world? It's interesting the way you put that, because really, as we look through Gentile history, which is anything aside from the Jews, basically, the nations of the world, <clears throat> that that the flow of history as it as as it went from the first century, right, when the church actually, when the attention was actually now on the nations of the world because Israel had rejected her Messiah. Her judgment came in 70 AD. And then uh, she scattered to the four corners of the world. 
but like the apostle paul said in the book of acts he reached the point where he said look you, you guys uh aren't, aren't receiving the word aren't receiving the gospel i'm now going to tend my turn my attention to the gentiles and so we right. begin there yeah. in the first century right and then we mm -hmm. head down through history for thousands of years down through history uh and empires rise empires fall the roman the roman empire morphs into a a uh, what we now know as the roman catholic church right in the third century when constantine converted to christianity as a result of a battle that he was engaged in uh and he claimed to to have seen a a symbol of a of a of a shield that had a a cross on it and and that he took that as being a symbolic of how he was going to win the war but the cross uh he took as a symbol that he was to uh convert to christianity and hence uh the roman catholic church was born and and rome diminished from that point on from being a military superpower to morphing into this religious institution that really spread across western civilization and and began to uh go into all the nations of of the west the west was basically um became western civilization as a result of christianity and and primarily the driving force behind that was catholicism which then as we go into the dark ages and then coming out of the dark ages we have the whole history of martin luther right and and his protestant reformation but my point is this, we go from Rome and then we begin to see, you know, great empires rising, the British Empire, the Spanish, the Portuguese, but but all of it was being driven under the flag of, of Christianity or Catholicism. It, it then begins to split apart. And then we come over as we, I'm fast forwarding through history, right? But we basically evolve or it all washes out into the new world, right? The new world which became the United States of America. And so it was as if all history flowed and culminated on this land. And unlike in distinguished nation states, whether it was Italy or England or Spain or France or go down through history, the United States became the compilation of all those tribes, tongues, and nations. And like you said, it became uh, founded on on Judeo-Christian principles in its earliest forming. And so it is quite conceivable what you're saying, that what we witnessed at the birth of the nation and its subsequent you know, rise to, to the preeminent global power that we see today is that we have witnessed the completion or the complete expression uh, or symbol of that expression of the Judeo-Christian church or, or the symbol of it in this nation of America. And remember, remember, Brother Marty, we never saw evangelism all over the world like we did uh, when God used preachers from this nation. That's true. We never there saw it at that level. Not in church yeah. history. We never saw it at that level. That's true. We saw like spots, right? Or But not at a global scale like you're talking about, especially in the 20th century, right? Correct, which, is, uh, which is which is what we're going to get into today. So, so something interesting takes forward, and that's just some food for thought. We're just throwing it out there for your consideration. But we think that that these are indications of where we are 
and one of the things that Brother Fernando pointed out, which again we reiterate, I go back and listen to yesterday, was was that the attention since the establishment of the capital of Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel, which took place, I think it was May 12th, 2018, uh, it seems that a confluence of events since that time has has moved the the uh, the attention of the world away from the Middle East for now. And it seems like America is coming apart at the seams, right? Like we're we're diminishing at a very rapid rate. And we talked about that being very significant in prophetic scripture because the scripture indicates that Israel herself will will have uh will have no ally in the not too distant future and an attempt will be made by the armies of the world uh to destroy her from off the face of the earth. In order for that to happen, being that America is her greatest ally, that seems to imply that the nation that we now see as the United States will not be that significant world power or have the ability to help Israel in the not-too-distant future. So something is happening. And I think that's what you're saying, Brother Fernando, is it's quite conceivable that that's why we see the attention and, and all the events that are transpiring here in America Ultimately, what is flushing out of this, right, whether it's Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the United Nations, climate change, whatever, the rise of China, all that stuff is working to destabilize the country and remove it from its position of the preeminent nation state in the world. They're trying to destabilize the very country founded on Judeo-Christian values and bring it down to the place where it becomes nothing more than part of the community of nations. And if that's true, what we're seeing then is that prophecy is flushing out just as God said it would, because Israel will then become increasingly isolated to the point where she's the only thing left to defend herself. But that's for another day. But it's interesting to look at, right? (laughs) Interesting to consider. That's probably what we're seeing. So now look, so what happens when we, and we're going to hurry through this, the 10 virgins, this completed church at the end of the world, uh, it it says they take their lamps and they go forth to meet the bridegroom. And that's a very interesting thing because as we talked about yesterday, taking the taking of the lamps, again, Jesus is speaking symbolically here, the taking of the lamps. And as brother Jeremy read yesterday in Psalm 119 verse 105, uh, the word of God is called the lamp, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And so we know that this church at the end of the world is going to take a hold of the word in an effort to go meet the bridegroom. But it's interesting because it says they took their lamps and they went forth. So, so, so that word went forth to meet the bridegroom it means that something triggered an anticipation of the eminent return of the bridegroom where all 10 of them launch out to go meet him. You know, it says they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now, taking it in context again, he's answering the third question. What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the world? And he tells this story. And so he's referencing a completed or reaching the culmination of the fullness of the expression of the church. And then something triggers it to go forth and meet the bridegroom. And so that is why we were talking about yesterday that 
in in regards to talking about it from the point of view of the end of the world, that it seems to be implying that there will be a, a, an initial sense and anticipation of that end time, end of the world church that Jesus is on his way. And what we know from verse 5 is that they go out, but something happens where they all begin to fall asleep and slumber, right? So that's what we were looking right. at it from that perspective yesterday, is that if this is talking about the end of the world, then what we should be looking for was, has there been an event within the scope of our recent history where we can look back on it and say, you know, there was a heavy anticipation of the church that Jesus was coming, and then it gave way to a fact that he didn't come, and they began to slumber and sleep. And we'll look at that in a second, because there were many events that transpired at the beginning of the 20th century, the closing of the 19th century, that quite possibly could be re referencing this they went forth event. But let's look at this in verse 2, because immediately Jesus says, the event that triggers them going forth produces two things. He draws our attention to two particular uh, things. He calls them the wise and the foolish. Our attention is drawn to what? Five of them were wise, verse 2. Five of them are foolish. So again, let's return to this. They went forth to meet the bridegroom. And we're putting forth the idea that he's referencing the end of time the end of the world, if you take it in context. He's answering the third question. So with that settled, there is an event or events that seem to trigger that end of the world, end time church, uh, to, and produce within them the emotion of an anticipation because of the events that they're witnessing, that the bridegroom is on his way, that he's about to come, and they set out. And Jesus immediately then in verse 2 draws our attention in the story he's telling us, to division beginning to take place. And he commends five wise, and he he exposes what he calls the five foolish. Now, when you look at the word wise, because he's drawing our attention to their personality traits at that time, when, when something triggers them to go forth early on, before they slumber and sleep. And, and, and he says, first of all, so whatever it was that happens that sends them forth and makes them think that the bridegroom is coming, uh, he, he categorizes a division now begins to take place within this completed church. One half of it is, is wise and the other half is foolish. And it's very telling because the word wise means uh, those who have the, uh, the, the parts, it literally means this, the parts of their heart. Uh, endowed with the faculty of perception and of a thoughtful and cautious character. Those are all a big bunch of fancy words, but basically what he's saying is these are those who, who through cautious reflection and thoughtful meditation on what they're witnessing in the events of the day have the capacity uh, to perceive and discern what's actually taking place as it seems that prophetic events trigger that end time into the world church that, that, that the Lord is on his way. But the, but the foolish, the word that he used there for foolish is, is the word that means to be dull and to be heedless 
have no discernment. And it's very interesting because when you dig into it, it means to be dull or heedless, to have no discernment of hidden or secret things that are not easily recognized. And so that's literally what he's saying. They begin to emerge, and the quality of spiritual development is different between the two. He says, five are wise, five are foolish. In other words, he says, what you're going to see emerging as I'm nearing, as we're nearing the time of his return, which will, by the way, like we were saying, begin with an initial going forth. Something at the end of the world is going to trigger this completed or full expression of the church, and they will set off because all of them together can sense and see by events of the day that something's going on, but only five are wise, and he's gonna he's gonna specifically uh, tell us in the next verse what makes them wise and what makes them foolish. But he first draws our attention to the quality of of spiritual character that they have. The wise are those who have the faculty to discern. They have they possess within them the spiritual quality to perceive and to proceed cautiously. And yet the parts of their heart are developed where they can discern something. Whereas the foolish react to the same thing, but they're different. They are heedless. They, they, they are not able to discern hidden or secret things, which, right. which allows – go ahead. Say something. <laughs> no, that's good. Are you gonna... Yeah, it, it, yeah okay. I was just reading, reading the uh... – definitions as well, not even being able to heed the mysteries, the, the hidden things, the secret things of God. Right. Which is interesting, right? Because they all yes. took the word. They all took the word, right? They took their lamps. So something obvious had to happen to where even the dullest among us could go, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, because it kind of right, has that right. feeling. <laughs> like, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. You know? So they set off together. But it's interesting because as the story progresses, uh, Jesus draws the attention first to what's actually present within the heart. And, and it's very interesting because then he exposes in verse, in verse 4 uh, and uh, 3 and 4 what that difference was. But it's, it's not fully evident, but it is in the mind of the Lord, right, until we get to um, – to verse 8 and 9 of the story because that's when the separation actually takes place between the 10 broken up into five wise and five foolish but the initial separation has already begun because the lord draws our attention to it in verse 2 he he immediately draws our attention to the difference between the two camps but they're not completely separate yet because remember, they, they both slumber and sleep together in verse 5, right? So what this is telling us is that is that the mystery of the real church and the real children of God and, and, the, and the separation of the two will not actually take place until they wake up and the voice begins to go forward in verse 6. Behold, the bridegroom comes the second time. So there's an initial excitement. They go forward. Fourth, the first time, but then by the time we get to verse five, they're all asleep. And verse six, again, the cry is made, the bridegroom is coming. And so it appears that two kinds of events, which both are signaling that Jesus is coming, and both is true, 
but the first initial event seems to hit hit the pause button because it says it's like, in verse it, five. It, it, it's it's like um, you know that end time generation that sets off, uh, and I'm sure you're going to get into what triggered that. It, 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 they begin to give signs, continuous signs, almost like an overload of signs of this coming yeah. to where to where some just say, oh, okay, I see the signs, but you know where is he? You know, and 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 both to, that happens to both the wise and the foolish. But uh, I think as we go along, we'll see when they wake up what triggers the separation. But that's what it feels like. We're a, a special generation. And Very we much. spoke about the sign in 2018. You go down to 1948 and down the list, right? It's so many signs in the last over 100 years, and and, and it's either going to draw us closer to the Lord, or we're going to be like the children of Israel who just couldn't wait for Moses to come down, right? And they yeah. started partying and so forth and so on. So it's it's, it's fascinating. Right. It's fascinating uh, what it's saying here. It's it's like that. It almost feels like 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 we had an like we have an overload of signs, right? Yeah. It, and 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 we're seeing them before our very own eyes, but it, it caused a slumber. So I just wanted to point that out. That's good. Yeah, and 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 what caused the slumber. Uh, the word slumbered, as we look in verse 5, where it says, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. That word slumbered means to to nod off, like someone who's mm-hmm. who's gotten really, really excited, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. Exactly. They begin, <laughs> right? they begin, to, <laughs> they begin to grow tired, and, and they're trying to stay awake. And it's like when you kind of like fall asleep and wake up real quick. That's kind of how it starts. And really, he's revealing there that that this process uh, it, it, it has a hint to it of of uh, you know of of <laughs> of demonic influence. Really, an attempt to put to sleep the body of Christ, which is actually what happened. And we're going to look at that because uh, the 20th century began and i'm believing that that the reason that that i draw attention to the 20th century is because jesus is is telling us that this these are the conditions at the end of the world of his completed church of a church that has reached full cycle full completion there's really not how much more does it need right i mean it's like it's grown it's been 2000 years it's it is what it is now and something mm-hmm. early on triggers a response from the body, the body politic, if you will, or the body church, if you will, that sets them off. And 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 mm-hmm. and immediately in verse two, he draws our attention because it is that trigger event where it says in verse one that they go forth to meet the bridegroom. Then that that then Jesus immediately turns our attention to a separation already beginning. It may not be discernible. On the outside, because they're still together as ten, but Jesus sees an immediate distinction between five wise and five foolish, and He wants us to understand that early on in the story, so that we can begin to take uh, another clue that He gives in verse three and four as to an additional thing, if we have eyes to see it, that is present in the initial going forth, which is oil. Right? Can you read verse three and four, brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, uh, "They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, 
but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So here we go. So we have an event that triggers an anticipation of the return of the bridegroom at the end of the world where they all go forth with their lamps. But then he immediately calls them half are foolish, half are wise. We just discussed that. And then he draws our attention to an additional piece of information at the same time, which is access to oil. And, and that's, what, mm. that's why he, said, he talks about the taking of oil. Now, in meditating on these things for years, really, but over the last several <laughs> weeks, you know, and, and, and last year especially, and then, uh, you know, I got, you know, let me just throw this out there. Those those who've been searching the scriptures, I can tell you, over the last couple of years, this story has, has emerged, you know, and, and been talked about, and then, you know, kind of fades away. It's emerged again. I think Jesus is drawing our attention to this story in the spirit right now, and that's why we see it coming and rising over the last couple of years, you know, a return to reflection on it. But anyway, the taking of the oil, there's several things that can be gleaned from verse three and four. Again, this is an end of the world parable. And so the Lord references oil uh, in verse three and four as being present, available, right? Yeah, It's there yeah. for the taking or not. Right, you want to take it, you can. You don't want to take it, fine. But he he terms those who had access to it at the time that they're going forth to meet the bridegroom. Some events that triggered that anticipation is also accompanied with oil. So I, I just want to say this. So in our desire to look for understanding, we have to discern throughout church history: is there, or has there ever been a time? When oil, which is, by the way, a type of the Holy Spirit, was present and available at, at distinctive times. Because the flow mm -hmm. of the Spirit has been, right, has been continuous. But Jesus is referencing in connection with, uh, with the going forth to meet the bridegroom in the first two, three verses, that oil is also present distinctively. And so we're asking the question then, has there been a time when we've seen in church history uh, an outpouring of oil or an availability of oil, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. And, well, and not of course, just that, I Brother Marty, um, and not just that, the oil is connected with a particular message here, the message yes. of the coming. Yes. Right? And and so as, they, as, the, as the ones who got oil, extra oil in their vessels, uh, it seems to indicate that the message that was being preached was it's coming so what they accumulated had to do with their desire for his coming right and so i, I if, if that makes sense no that does and that's a good way to, that that's a good thought right so we're looking at what he's including in his story is oil's present it's flowing but it's distinctive it's connected to his second coming as you were saying uh in this particular story but as we glean from, from the taking of the oil, that's why I was saying, let us ask, has the oil ever been present in church history like that? Well, you just pointed out one of them, and, and, and that is, uh, and, but the first time it occurred was where? In the book of Acts, right? Chapter 2. Right. 
there was this, a distinct outpouring of the oil. Again, oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, at the beginning of the church, they had that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But remember, like you just pointed out, brother, that oil that came in the in the beginning of the church was so that they could go forward, right? Go forth, but for a specific task. But wrapped up in that outpouring uh, and uh, and where that outpouring came is very significant because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, it was first revealed from the very mountain where olive oil is produced or anointing oil is produced, right? This right. prophecy and this story is being given from the Mount of Olives. And, right. and, and, and we'll look at that in a second. But so the first outpouring was at the beginning of the church. And I think what he's trying to say is at the second uh, outpouring that there would be two outpourings and that the last outpouring would be something that would accompany an initial excitement that he's returning. And and like Brother Jeremy pointed out yesterday, the oil is always necessary to illuminate the lamp, which is a type of the word. And and specifically when you enter into times of, of prophetic fulfillment. So it's right, necessary, right. right? Like you were just saying. Right. So the second time, when did the second time, do, is there another time? Did we see another Absolutely. time? Was there, right? And, and you want to talk about that a little? No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Following where you're going. Okay, good. So, so, so the first at the, the as it was in the beginning, right? It'll be at the end. So the, <laughs> and and what's interesting to me, brother Tim, we'll get into that in a second. But I'll just gonna throw that out there, is that after he reveals that there will be uh, uh, in the book of Acts that they need to wait because the oil has to come, the Holy Spirit has to come. Um, he then ascends into heaven, right? He goes up into heaven in the book of Acts. And and where does he go up into heaven from? Y'all remember? From the read uh, it. Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives. Yeah, yeah, read it. That's right. On the Mount of Olives. Again, the place where the holy anointing oil was given. I'm just going to read that scripture in the book of Acts. After he tells them that they need to tarry uh, until the oil comes, uh, and, and that they would be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then it says, when he had spoken these things, Acts chapter 1, verse 9, while they beheld, he was taken up, a cloud receives him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up, two men standing by them in white apparel, which also said this, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which you have seen taken up to you, he's going to come in like manner as you have seen him go. And verse 12, then they returned unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet. Again, a, a, a promise of his return is spoken from the very mountain where oil is taken, right? That's where all the olive right. trees grew. It, uh, okay, this is, you know, you got to, I know you guys are understanding. I pray those of you listening, because you know, this is this is we're digging into the scriptures here. We're digging into the story. We're comparing scripture with scripture, and and remember, he's going to return to that same mountain. 
So, Jeremy, read yes, us really quick. Zechariah chapter 14. Yes, Would you? Yes, verse 4. 14, verse 4. Here we go. It says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Incredible, right? Because remember, uh, where is Jesus when he's he's telling us this story? Mount of Olives. Uh, Mount of Olives. That's, that's right. Would you read that scripture? Um, yeah. It's, uh, verse 3. Chapter 24, verse 3. Oh, there we go. Yeah. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives. The, the, excuse me. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? Very interesting that he draws them out of the city. He takes them out of the temple. He's telling them that, you know, he's beginning to reveal to them what's coming because he's only about three days away from being crucified on Mount Calvary and, and rising from the dead three days later. So he's he's taking them to what? He takes them to the Mount of Olives. Again, that is where the oil comes from. And and so and then and then when he leaves <laughs> in the book of Acts, after the resurrection, right. he's on the Mount of Olives, right? And when he comes right. back, he's gonna be where? On the Mount of Olives, right? So right. so what I'm saying to you is that he's constantly referring his coming, his return, his ascension, all that stuff, his unveiling of prophetic scriptures. He uses the symbolism of the Mount of Olives, which is where we get anointing oil, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hey, man, Tell me what you're thinking. Good. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, talking, we're talking about the oil in the, in the vessels. And right. Jesus is given is giving us hints of of what that oil illuminates. Yes. Uh, and that oil illuminates, uh, you know, his teachings in the Mount of Olives or concerning the Mount of Olives, which is yes, that's right. Things concerning yes. the end and his coming. Yes. yes. Exactly. <laughs> so I yeah, find that really powerful. cool, right? <laughs> yeah. So, Awesome. And it's a key because he's based I'm getting ahead of myself, but you are you, you can see it, right? Because it it's key. Because the Lord is revealing so very much. He's laying out prophetic history in chapter twenty four and twenty five, from their time to the end of the world, right? Our time basically, I believe. And he revealed everything all the way up to his second coming. But as it relates to the taking of oil, I think we have to consider this. He gave these prophecies from the Mount of Olives. So was he in effect telling us that in the end of the world, that we need to revisit in the end of the world or at the end of time, the very prophecies that he gave when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives? Absolutely. Because that, <laughs> right? And it'll bring light. 
It'll bring light. Yes. We'll understand in the midst of this dark world just before he returns what's going so Marty, on. Yes. You know, another beautiful thing that I see here, you know, where when he speaks in verse 5, you know, we're speaking about the Holy Spirit. And then it says there, the while the bridegroom tarries, remember Jesus before um, he left in, in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, he says, don't do anything. Don't preach, but tarry. Tarry until I send you the Holy Spirit, right? And mm. that's what they did. And, yeah. and, I, and I think and I think that's a symbolic of, of the end times today. You know, when he speaks about that while he tarried, but they still took the oil. It was necessary uh, yeah. to take it. And I, I just thought that was kind of a beautiful um, correlation. Yeah, that's right great. That, that, yeah, that's a, that's a really good cross-reference there. Now, listen, uh, as well, because... You know, we can, we're looking at the big picture, but let's look at the smaller picture here because uh, that is nece that's necessary. Because we're talking about the second time. We talked about the first time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was at the beginning of the church. But at the end of the world, there seems to be another outpouring because he draws our attention to oil precisely mm -hmm. in connection with events that trigger a response from the ten virgins that Jesus is coming, right? And that's why we're putting what we're putting forth is that yes, there was an event that that appears to be that triggered this response, and and why we know or 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 at least are you know suspicious of the fact that we have entered the the last of the last days, and that that event or the availability of oil, like it was at the beginning of the book of Acts, would have to be seen again in connection with prophetic events. And we believe that happened at the beginning of the 20th century. And and yes. really at the close of the 19th century, it was beginning. You know, they had the Great Awakening, which was marked by right. holiness, right? That, that's what the whole Great Awakening was about, was repentance from sins. And it was it was a movement, a holiness movement in the in, in, as the 19th century was closing out. But as we came into the 20th century, uh, we had the Welsh Revival, you know, Evan Roberts over there in uh, you know in europe in 1904 and it made its way across the ocean and we ain't got time to get into all of it other than to say the famous azusa street revival was born out of it in 1906 and and that connects with what you were saying earlier brother fernando it was that outpouring of the spirit that outpouring of the oil in the united states of america that produced the next hundred years or so or a little bit less of the greatest explosion of evangelism around the world that we have ever seen, right? Yes, <laughs> because the yes. out the outpouring of the Spirit came. But what Jesus seems to be alluding to here is that the event that triggers an early move of this 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 ten virgin church or this this church completed and full or reaching its completion point that something will trigger its interest and it will go forth to meet the bridegroom and it will be accompanied with an availability of oil and what we're saying is is that there were events that triggered the early church of the 20th century that made them think jesus was coming and at the same time oil is flowing which was the what what many call the latter rain or whatever you want to label you want to put on it, but a, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit exploded in into the into the planet, the outpouring of the Spirit, 
And it was then that, that, that the division begins to take place that the Lord draws our attention to. And, and we'll come back to that in just a second. I want to hurry here and talk about this because, because I, I don't want to go past the taking of the oil and not deal with our own personal walk. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is really drawing our attention to as well, is that you need to take oil because it speaks of each individual person and what they have to do. You know, the taking of oil is broken down into wise and foolish. The wise took oil, the foolish don't. But the taking of oil means, the, the word take means to lay a hold of it right. to, in order to acquire the oil. And never let it go. That's literally what it means. You you grab something in order to not let it go. And 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 Jesus is saying that oil will be vital because as he goes on in his story, like we've been talking about, they're all gonna fall asleep. Something's right. going to wake something's going to wake them up. And so what are you saying, Brother Marty? I'm saying that we're actually coming out of that sleep now, but over the last several decades since those times of the earliest twentieth century. We have had the opportunity to take oil, that is, to, to, to take the oil that will illuminate the word during these dark times. Even the Lord had his own taking of oil moment, right, on the very Mount of Olives where he's sitting revealing these stories to us of the end of time. In Gethsemane, right, the Garden of Gethsemane is located at the Mount of Olives, and, and the eight oldest uh, olive trees in all of Israel are still exist there to this day, but that's where the Lord went and prayed and acquired his own oil, so to speak. Remember what he said to the Father in the garden? He was looking for illumination, right? He said, is there any other way, Father? If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But it was in that garden, it, it was in that place that he took his oil, because oil is made by crushing something. The Lord allowed himself to be crushed and the precious fragrance of the oil, symbolically speaking, of the, of the Holy Spirit illuminated to him. There is no other way. This is the way. And, and he rises from that place and says, not my will, but thine be done. Right. So he right. took the oil first and he, he draws our attention to the wise, saying that they were the ones who took oil in their vessels. And this is something that requires effort. But how is this done? How do you acquire this oil? And that's what mm -hmm. we want to find out. And I, I think that we see a, a, a portion of it uh, revealed to us in the book of Jude. And, and, and we'll see the division of the wise and the foolish even there. And we get an even more of an insight in the book of Jude as to what the characteristics are of this uh, of the separation of the two churches take a look in jude real quick could you read that to us brother jeremy in verse 18 yes. through 20 yes <clears throat> here we go it says uh how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Right. So look at verse 19 and 20. You can see the foolish and the wise there, right? 
Notice yes. one of the characteristics of, of, of the foolish is they're sensual. They're, they're, they're given to the appetites of the material world. They're not spiritual. He goes on to say they don't have the spirit, right? Verse 19, they don't yes. have the spirit. They're the, they're the foolish. They take no oil. They have no oil. They don't have the spirit. But, but we're talking about acquiring oil that will be sufficient when, when you begin to wake up. You'll have it. It had to be done in advance. There's a preparation period. And, and, and James reveals how we do that. He says how you build up excess, how you build up uh, you know, provision is by prayer in right. the Holy Ghost. Right. This is how we acquire the oil. It's by prayer. And and but what he says is building yourself up on your most holy faith. Mm -hmm. Our most our most holy faith is that 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 moral credence and persuasion that we have that he's coming back. That's what we're really waiting for. Right. That's our most holy faith is that our Lord is going to return. And, and in the meantime, he says, you need to build yourself up in that. And how you do that is by prayer. And that's where most people jump off the ship and say, all right. Right. I just can't do that. You know, I, I, I'm too busy to pray. Really? Uh, I wonder, you know, when was the last time you sat down and watched your favorite show for, for an hour or two hours? Uh, now you're putting a guilt trip on me. No, man, you do what you want. But don't come asking me for any illumination. It cost me to get what no, no. I got. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 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 that's it. You know, and, and brother, at the end of the day, if we're all honest with ourselves, where we slip away, starts there. We leave right his presence. We, we stop yeah. seeking him. I don't care who you are. That's where it starts. It's it's the yeah. thing that many people profess to do, but don't know how to do and don't actually do. Yes, you know we have a we have a generation of untrained people in prayer and true deep intercession. Yeah, I'm talking about intercession like Daniel, Nehemiah, uh, you know, David. Yeah, you know, in the Psalms, that kind of intercession. We're not talking about your little, you know, like you said, your little. Uh, dinner prayers and and you know uh co- coffee shop prayers no 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 right we're talking about getting down and dirty with tears from your heart <laughs> yeah. crying out crying out for a nation crying out for your family that are going to hell that I kind of prayer and intercession and yeah. and and that's it's true brother at the end of the day the people that will have illumination will be those who have been seeking him with their whole heart. He yeah, will not yeah. leave them alone. God will not leave them alone. He will give them the light that yeah. they are his children. Amen. And and, and that's why, uh, that's really powerful what you're just saying there. This is the part that the unspiritual person uh, is exposed as really to him, to their own self and to those around them who who are spiritual, not from a position of pride or, or spiritual arrogance. We're not talking that way. And neither are we talking about, Correct. because we, we just read how you acquire this oil. How do I get this oil? It's, it's through prayer. It's through seeking God. 
it's it's through building yourself up in your most holy faith and what this is telling us in 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 some measure is you you cannot grow you cannot get strong and neither will you cross over into your most holy faith which is mm-hmm. which which is what it is the surrendering of the life that now is for the absolute certainty in my heart the transformation of my mind that tells me with everything in me that my lord and 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 that and that promise of a heavenly kingdom is real and and that yeah. is what i'm living for this temporary moses said 70 years if by reason of strength 80 years on this planet it is the proving ground and the path by which we take and and there comes that moment of definition uh, a, 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 a definite point that we reach where we break from the constraints of what holds me to this world and I transition into that which is having my sights set exclusively on things that are above. That's why when we were talking about the book of Hebrews chapter 11 where we, they they go through the hall of fame of faith, when we get to Father Abraham and the other great saints, it says that they lived at such a point that they began to, all they ever talked about, all they ever began to be consumed by was a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. They were able to see it. They were able to pierce the veil of, 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 of the cloud and the fog of this life through a building up process, through the acquiring of the oil, which is done with an intimate discourse between you and the heavenly father it's the very thing that jesus so eagerly wanted us to understand is when he said things like i would that men would pray always prayer is the expression and the and and that which rises from the heart it's symbolized in in the offering of incense in in the temple in that it's offered on the pure coals taken from the brazen altar which is a symbol of the cross the, the 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 coals that are on fire they they represent the purity of god and when we add the fragrance of the incense to that the smoke rises upwards and it becomes a sweet smelling savor to the lord our hearts are like that his holy spirit which is symbolized by oil and fire dwells within us and when we bring the substance of a life that's been gathered from many experiences throughout the walk that we have and, and it becomes a surrendered life added to the fire and the oil of the spirit within our heart. Prayer is that result of that. The smoke symbolized of the incense rising to heaven is that expression of the very life that we live before him. And we take those moments that we set aside for him and, and, we, and we pursue him. And, and we seek him. And each and every moment we grow and we, and, and we transition from glory to glory. We become more mature in the things of God. We become uh, anticipatory of a kingdom that is more real to us than the very life we see every day in our five physical sense world. That's what Judas said. He says, what that's where people are separated and that's why jesus says the five wise and the five foolish as the story goes on are going to be separated and the issue that separates them is is the taking of the oil 
those who are truly at the end of the world seeking God are going to coalesce as a fellowship because the five wise hang out together as do the five foolish hang out together. But they can no longer mm-hmm. at a particular moment in, in the remainder of this story hang out together. A defining moment is coming. It's, it's called the midnight cry, right, in verse 6. That defining moment is upon us, and we believe that it quite possibly has already begun and really has been leading up to this, a, a true defining moment. Because remember, like we started out talking about, at the beginning, they all set off together, but then they end up falling asleep. And, and, and yet it was, it was the interim of the delay where the wise developed that relationship with God. So whether awake, asleep, or waking up again, they have cultivated a maturity with God. Some of you have been dead for so long because of what you've seen and have drifted away. But yet there was a time in your life where you were familiar yeah. with the presence of God, right? And what Jesus is implying was he still considers you wise because you took the time at one time in your life to have an intensity with him. The events of the day, the unfolding of, of the history and the life in which we're living with right now has seemed to put, to put many to sleep. But when they hear the cry, the reality of what mm. they once knew will come alive in them. And that's where the separation takes place because there's always a collective group of people that aren't really real. <laughs> they just hang out, man. They're yeah. religious, right? But that's what Brother Jeremy was just reading here. It, is, it causes a separation, right? Verse 19, these be they who separate themselves. And, and, the, and, and the quality that, that causes the separation is, one, they're sensual. They're, mm-hmm. they're given to this world, right? That's what they're after is this world. That's what they're more interested in. And the result of that is they do not have the spirit. So when, mm-hmm. Jude, goes on in, when Jude goes on in verse 20 to talk about building up yourself, He's taking for granted that you're not all up in this world. <laughs> you're not sensual. <laughs> so, right. But that's for another another day. Any thoughts? <clears throat> no, it's it's, it's an interesting uh, find there in Jude. Um, it, 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 it's describing exactly uh, what takes place in Matthew 25. Um, yeah. These be they who separate themselves. Notice they are the ones separating themselves, the foolish ones. Yes. Right? And it says, sensual, having not the spirit, having no oil. No oil. No reserve. There it is. Right? But, no illumination. Right? No revelation. No illumination. That's right. No, illum- no illumination. And, 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 and then he goes on and says, but building up yourself. This is a personal thing. Your mama can't give it to right. you, as they say in the South. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your church can't give it to you. No one can give this to you. This and is I guess, I guess one of, Go ahead. Yeah, no, I guess one of, you know, I've read this parable for, for years, and I always ponder why the Lord would tell the, the wise, don't give them anything, right? It's obviously... Right. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 they're saying, no, I can't give you what I have. Right. You gotta go buy your own. And and usually, you know, when you think of sharing the gospel, you think about giving. But yeah. in this, in this particular time, it it ha it's connected with what you said there, um, where it says, But you beloved, building up yourselves on your 
uh, on your most holy faith, praying in, in, in the Holy Spirit, it, it speaks about the price the individual has to pay. Yes. Right? It, it's your Gethsemane experience. That's right, brother. That's right. You, you have to go to your cross, <laughs> right? Right. You have to go to your own cross. There's a cross for you to bear. And That's isn't why it you interesting? Can't share this. Yes, and and what you just mentioned, Gethsemane again. Let's just talk about that for a few seconds as we close here, because look, <clears throat> what did we see in the garden where the oil is acquired? The Lord went ahead and did it right. three times. He went and woke them up, right? Because they fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. They were they were asleep. But but when 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 the Antichrist figure Judas shows up with an army. <laughs> Suddenly they wake up, right? Yeah, 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 good. <laughs> but only right. one of them had oil at the time, right? That was Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the Son of the Living God. The rest of them yeah, scattered, yeah. right? But that's why he tells them, "You wait here till you get your oil, right?" In, in the first church, and and they did on the day of Pentecost, and that same scattering brunch that separated themselves, right? Because they were more concerned about the, losing their life now. When they got mm-hmm. full of that oil, brother, they stood right smack dab in the middle of that temple, and they became changed people. They had oil now, right? I mean, they they understood the times. Peter was now talking prophecy, right? This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, right? <laughs> right, right. And so oil always gives illumination to prophetic events, but but that's really cool stuff you're talking about there, brother. So so let us you know let us again we talk about the Lord turning our attention to the Mount of Olives, the taking of the oil. We could talk about that for hours and that pursuit of oil. But what we want to do is encourage people. Because look, man, praying and seeking God, if you always view it as a religious obligation or just a duty that you got to do, you'll never understand anything. I I know I've been there. You know, I've been there, man. I mean, you pray for no other reason but because it's the very life breath of your life, your peace, your soundness of mind in the presence of Almighty God. You understand that over time. You begin to develop praying in the Holy Spirit. When we know not how to pray, He helps us. He prays through us. He inspires us to pray. He, and, 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 and prayer is like a child learning how to walk. You know, first you crawl. Well, first you get enough strength to like lift yourself up and waggle around like little babies, right? And then you discover, man, I'm starting to crawl. This is really fun. And then you get up and you're a little unstable as you're holding on to the side of the coffee table and everybody's laughing because you're standing up. And then you try to walk mm-hmm. to your mom and dad. You take a few steps, fall on your face. This is like prayer. Prayer's like that. It's a progressive thing. But before you know it, you start getting balanced. You start testing those legs. You start getting stronger. That's what Jude's talking about. And suddenly you begin to discover things like we were talking about the other day. They that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What was Noah's reward? Revelation of the end time, right? I mean, it's always connected to this. And what Brother Fernando was sharing earlier you know, that place of intercession for your loved ones, for your community, for those that, that are on your heart, your mind, it transcends everything and redefines every religious concept of prayer, and it becomes relationship. 
You can't relate mm-hmm. to someone that you don't know, and neither will you want to relate to someone that you never spend time with. You don't even know he exists. That's right. why the foolish, they, you can pick up your Bible and have no clue what it says. You've never mm-hmm. prayed, at least not for any length of time. And that's why Jesus separates and distinguishes the two and those that at the end of the world that will truly be given illumination. Again, yes. <laughs> one thing, just in keeping with what we were talking about, in Matthew 24, which is part of his answers, right, he mentions the days of Noah again. And and this, this is just for, for those of you who understand the flow of prophecy. He says, as it was in the days of Noah. Again, he's giving us that indication from the Mount of Olives. He's talking about oil. He draws our attention to the days of, of Noah. Remember, do not forget Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God decreed that there would be 120 years of history remaining until the flood came, right? Right. Is it possible that Jesus was alerting us to the fact, before he goes right into this parable of 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 chapter 25 of the 10 virgins, that he was alerting us to the fact, as it was in the days of Noah, is there a triggering event that could quite conceivably have started that final 120 years? We've never actually looked at it that way. But was he actually telling us there'd be a century and some decades just prior to his coming, and, and it would be at the end of time as well, that we have a limited time? Are you setting dates, Brother Marty? No, because I don't know when that actually started, but I know the clock has been ticking, and I know that we yeah, see sure. something happen, right? You know, I began to make a correlation, and again, I'm not setting dates either, but it, it was almost 120 years ago when uh, the, the move of God came, right, in 1906, you know, almost 2020, right, almost. Right. Again, I'm not setting dates, but it's, it's not a coincidence that we feel that we, what what we're sensing is that his coming is near, and, and right. God does leave signs, though. We don't know the day, but we do know, uh, you know, the season, you know. He, he's not going to come. He's going to come as a thief in the night, but not to us who are expecting him, you know. And right. as we were talking about the pursuit of God, you know, the oil, you, you think about it. In the beginning, ten virgins begin the journey, right? <laughs> they know something has happened. Something triggered them to go and, and wait for the bridegroom to come. But to me, what these the five wise ones, what they represent is is the virgins, is a church that has their eyes set, not on their surroundings, but on the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Right. And and, and that's and that's what we're pursuing, you know. Uh, we're yeah. not of this world. He's coming, you know, the, in, in this time of, of separation. I think it's a, it's a time of, of testing that's going on. And as we wait, you know, beginning to say goodbye to this world right beginning to say to goodbye to our surroundings to the people we grew up with you know getting rid of things and people in our lives that we're attached to anything that does not benefit us as we're looking setting our eyes on jesus christ that's the pursuit that's the sign you know are we pursuing him and and that comes to what you said you know through prayer you know, yes. through through prayer with that oil, because that's the only thing that's going to sustain us in this hour. And uh, yeah, you know, I just wanted one to of the. That. No, that's really good, man. And and one of the as I'm going to close with this, 
because one of the things that 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 happens in prayer is that over time you don't even realize what's happening to yourself until until an event happens or or something you know comes across your way and you realize all of a sudden you don't react to the situation the way you used to you're not as easily right. brought down in temptations that used to take you down you're you're right. consecrated you've been yes. separated you've been preserved in Christ and and suddenly you realize it and 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 yes. and you begin to understand now again we're going to close with this the bridegroom tearing but remember what we said to begin with was there an event that 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 produced oil at, at the same time that the bridegroom is, the bride is going out to meet the bridegroom was Jesus telling us that at the end of the world there was going to be an event that symbolized oil and 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 it was in connection with an understanding that quite possibly that he was coming and we're saying yes that happened in the early part of the 20th century when the outpouring of the holy spirit took place in wales and and then ultimately in the united states through brother william seymour that literally has gripped the whole world it's interesting to me that that the outpouring of the holy spirit in wales and in the united states 1904-1906 preceded the recapturing of Jerusalem and the regathering right. of the saints right. of, 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 of the Jews. Cause you need the oil to understand the event, right? <laughs> good, <that's> good. <laughs> so, so I think Hallelujah. that's why it happened that way. So the early enthusiasm in essence of the, of the early 20th century uh, outpouring gave way to a sense of, oh, I guess he ain't coming. And, and the church plunged into a position of, of a sleepness, from like yeah. the 80s to now, 1980 to now, we now find yes. a church. But there, but there is a church that's waking up. But I want to read you something to just prove what I'm telling you, that after almost 2,000 years, the church came awake at the beginning of the 20th century after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In December of 1917, uh, General Allenby of the British Army, the, the British Empire, uh, uh, and the British Army routed the uh, the Turkish Army and the and the Germans that were helping them, and and for the first time in 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 a thousand years, man, Jerusalem was recaptured on December 11th. And and when Brother Allenby, I call him brother because he was a Christian, when he walked into Jerusalem, he walked in without having to fire a shot, and he said he walked in because. He said, only Jesus, uh, uh, the Messiah, is the only one who should have the honor of riding into Jerusalem on a horse. Because they told him, you should ride your horse into Jerusalem like a conquering hero. Remember, this is 1917. They didn't have cars and tanks and all that like we do today. They had cavalries in their army still. He refused to ride a horse into Jerusalem. He got off his horse and walked into Jerusalem. And for the first time, it came into uh, the control of not Muslim, but Christian West. It became the control of the Christian West. And the early scholars in the early 1917, I have a book here I'm about to read to you, and, and how they reacted to that event. It was the trigger that suddenly after 2,000 years, it's quite possible by seeing Jerusalem captured by a Christian man and returned to the West, so to speak, and the edict that would go forth that, that the Jew could return to Palestine, it triggered an excitement in that church that had just gone through an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the oil, and now a prophetic event. Listen to what he writes. This is a book from 
uh, a brother H.C. Morrison called The World War in Prophecy, The Downfall of the Kaiser and the End of the Dispensation. <laughs> that was the title of his book. Well, he wrote this book in 1917. So I'm reading to you a book from the 1917s, and it was published by something called the Pentecostal Publishing Company, which is really cool because <laughs> they had just gone through the outpouring of the Spirit, right? But listen to what brother brother says here. My wife got me this book for Christmas, man, and it just blessed me. H.C. Morrison. He says the the tremendous transactions. He's talking about the recapture of Jerusalem in 1917. Cannot occur during uh, the present war, but history will move forward rapidly. Listen to what he's saying. From this point, he says history is going to move forward rapidly in preparation for their occurrence. The reader's attention is called to the fact, he says. Listen to this. The reader's attention should be called to the fact that the bride of Christ is to be caught away sometime before the awful days of the great tribulation or the tribulation. Therefore, it behooves everyone, listen to this, to have their wedding garments ready Amen. and their lamps, listen, and their lamps trimmed and burning. That's the event where they go forth. And, and they ah, acquire their oil. I, immediately, in 1917, their attention wow. was drawn to Matthew 25 and the Ten Virgins. And he uses that. He says, because Jerusalem was captured by General Alibi, he says, this is it. Jesus is coming. He says this. It behooves Powerful. every one of us to have their wedding garment ready, have their lamps trimmed and burning, for we are undoubtedly living in the last time. Prophecy is fulfilling rapidly. And in the light of the Holy Scriptures, we have every reason to hope that very soon these predictions referring to the close of the dispensation will have been fulfilled. And our Lord, who rode in humility into Jerusalem to hang upon the cross and die for the redemption of the race, he is going to come back in the clouds of glory and sit on the throne of his universal empire and reign in peace and righteousness over all mankind into the book. That's what they Amen. concluded in 1917, right? So what we're saying, is, and he even uses, he quotes from the 25th chapter of Matthew with the 10 virgin story we're talking about. He even uses that because they anticipated. They went forth to meet the bridegroom. The, the wise Amen. took oil, which is why they understood that he, he he's coming. We've got Jerusalem. He's got to be coming. But, but. But here we are 103 years later, he hasn't come yeah. yet. And as a result, the church has nodded off, slumbered, and slept. But I think that that at the beginning of this year, it's quite possible that I hear the uh, the windpipes warming up of, of, of the cry at midnight. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I think that we're waking up right now. I think that that just as their expectation was high, um and and, and over the last hundred years we've seen the church fall asleep, but but tomorrow we're gonna try and conclude this series because something indeed has occurred and I think that's what we've been talking about since March nineteenth. Uh, you know, a sleeping and a true church has awakened. 
because a midnight cry is being made. And, and I think that it, it <laughs> that 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 cry quite possibly began as we as we transitioned into the year 2020. When you consider all the events we've been witnessing now, something different is happening. The whole world is 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 in turmoil. Chaos is abounding everywhere, and in our nation, it's it's insane. You never thought you would see. And 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 the interesting thing to me, as we've discussed over and over, brothers, is that the many preachers uh, of the national ruling a uh, religious establishment, both Pentecostal, Charismatic, and denominational, they have absolutely no light on what's taking place right now. And and yeah. and, and and but but God's children do. And I know we've been getting very deep and digging into the d- deeper parts of the word uh, with you all that are listening. Take the time to listen to these things and, and pause if you need to. Read the scriptures, come back and turn it on again so you can hear what we're saying. Because we're really speaking to spiritual people who have spiritual ears. Those of you who can't quite understand what we're saying, it, it, it's not meant to, to despair you or to to denigrate your 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 understanding it's meant to to motivate you to dig and to see whether the things that we're saying are true and if anything we're asking you get oil while you can yes right the dark, the, yes right the darkness is coming and if you don't have that oil you're not going to be able to walk the path that leads us all the way home to our marriage feast with christ tomorrow we'll conclude this series as we get into that separation and we dig into some of the things that uh, that the Lord has revealed to us, we pray by the Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 I want to leave you with the scripture, a word to Jesus, that I think it's appropriate as we finish, as we've been talking about the oil. And this scripture is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to verse 38. And I want to leave the listener with this because I think it, it summons or sums up everything we, we've been talking about. Jesus said, let your loins be girded about and your light burning, your candles. <laughs> yes. And ye yourselves, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find, listen to this, watching. He spoke about prayer. He spoke about seeking the Lord. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to me, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Amen. Those are the words of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, we pray that you have been blessed uh, with, this, with this study of the Word of God. And we look forward, Lord willing, to be with you tomorrow as uh, uh, we may be concluding our series. Unless the Lord does something now, we'll, we'll be concluding our series on these ten virgins. You know, we have gleaned so much uh, just listening uh, today, just learning and seeing what God is saying, I think the picture is clear that this parable was left for such a time like this, for such a time like this. So uh, I pray that you're blessed. And as always, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. 
and keep looking up.